0: Jesus actually, there we go, I think I'm on now. I think we got it. Uh, Jesus was actually speaking and telling through the parable the answer to their question before they even asked it. And I just love that about Jesus, is that he's so many steps ahead of these disciples. We see this all the time, don't we? And Jesus talks about, he says, "This this is what's going to happen to me. And the disciples go, oh, that can't possibly be what's going to happen. And as we read on, we see, yes, it's exactly how Jesus said it. It's exactly how he's done it. So today, we're going to look at some of the parables. We're going to look at the first parable, the parable of the sower. So what is a parable? We've talked about this a little bit, and we'll keep bringing it up over and over again. The word parable means to lay alongside. So this is Jesus teaching a story, something that is a truth that we need to know. We talked about last week how the parables are necessarily sh- kind of shaded and kind of darkened for those who don't believe so that they don't understand. And only through the Holy Spirit letting us see it can we actually see what is there. So these disciples, they're clearly not getting it. Jesus had taught this, this first parable about the sower, and they go, "Whoa, we don't know what's going on. Jesus, help. That should be encouraging to us because Jesus doesn't always explain his parables like we'll see today. He does explain this one. The second thing I want to encourage us to do as we look at this one, this is probably one of the most famous parables of all time with maybe the prodigal son being right there tied with it. So it's so familiar Many of you that have been in church for any amount of time have heard sermons on this parable. And so you're going, I already know where this is going. Jesus has explained it. Let's just get going. You know, maybe you start doing some planning about what you're going to do later in the day. Maybe you start thinking about your lunch plans or the Sunday night football game or whatever it is that's on your, on your uh, mind right now. Maybe I just introduced something into your mind. Sorry. But I want to give you an opportunity here to the Word of the Lord always has something for us. Every single time we go to the Word, there's something for us. And I believe there is something here in this passage that maybe we've seen a hundred times, but today I believe the Lord's going to make it fresh for us today. So let's be like what Jesus asked us to be like in verse 9. Let him who has ears hear. Let her who has ears hear. Let us hear the word of the Lord. So we have two questions that come about in this passage. One question is for those who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And the question is, is why? why? Why can't you hear? Why haven't you heard? What has gotten in the way? This is the main thrust of this parable. It's to explain why some people get it and some people don't. And so that's what Jesus is dealing with here. The second thing we need to answer, because many of you in this room are followers of Jesus Christ, is why is it that I don't hear him? Why don't I hear him more clearly? Why is it that I can hear all sorts of other things in my life, but right now I may have a hard time hearing Jesus? There's an answer in this passage for you as well. So, our big idea today, if you like writing those things down, is when the Word of God is received in receptive hearts it bears superabundant fruit. When the word of God takes root in a receptive heart, it bears fruit. And not just a little. We'll see this in the passage. So let's read it again, starting in verse one. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Great crowds gathered about him. So he got into a boat and sat down. The whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seed fell on the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil and when the sun rose they were scorched and since they had no root they withered away. Other seed fell amongst thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them and other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred, some sixty some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. So the the context of this, we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but the context of this is Jesus has been going around teaching and doing miracles and the crowds are starting to get a glimmer of what's going on. And they go, this could be the son of David. Is it? And the Pharisees are like, nah, not the son of David, son of the devil. He got the wrong name. And Jesus goes, no, actually I am the son of David, and when you say things like that about me, you are on the edge of blasphemy. So this is a a tough environment that Jesus finds himself in. Remember, his, his mother and brothers came to see him, and Jesus says, you're either for me or you're against me. We saw all of that leading into where we are at now. So this is a tough crowd. So Jesus is still being followed by crowds. He moves out onto a boat. Why on a boat? Well... On a boat, it's got some good acoustics. You know, Anybody who lives on water knows you can hear someone talking on the other side of that water. So it's good acoustics. Jesus is still teaching. He's still scattering the seed everywhere, even though many in the audience will not understand what's going on. Now, we read this, and it's really hard for us to not read it and go, I know exactly what these are. And as soon as you hear the soil on the hard ground, you're like, yep, it's these people. Or the soil that is with the thorns. It's this. We automatically go right to the interpretation. Because Jesus goes right to the interpretation. But in reality, there is a break here. And the disciples are sitting with this. And they're going, so what would the disciples have felt as they were hearing this passage? What What would it have been that stuck out at them here? Well, the first thing, this is not an odd way to spread seed. This was not unheard of. Now, before we do the horse laugh and go, oh, those those primitives, they're so dumb, scattering seed everywhere. They actually knew what they were doing, so let's give them the benefit of the doubt for just a second. What they would do is they would scatter the seed, and then they would go and they would agitate it to then work the seed in. And this was very common. We're not talking about a road here. We're talking about a little footpath through their field, which they would have. We're not talking about big gigantic rocks that they were like, well, I hope that works. We're talking about rocks right under the surface. We're talking about soil that is tamped down, but also may be fruitful. So this is not unusual. What's unusual is verse 8. Verse 8, it says, the seeds that fell on the good soil produce grain. Also not unusual, but the next part, some 100-fold. Some 60-fold, some 30-fold. This would have been amazing in this time to have anything above a 10-fold increase in seed, which we're assuming this is wheat, because Jesus keeps talking about wheat in the next few parables. This would have been amazing. A ten-fold would have been like, this would have been a 100-year awesome harvest. But to have it a hundredfold, I mean, just grasp that: One seed produces a hundred. That's amazing. One seed producing 30 would be amazing. Anybody garden in here? Would you like to have one of your seeds produce 30 pieces of fruit? I mean, come on now. So the typical yield was between 5 and 10. So this, would have, this is about the fruit. We need to make sure we don't miss that. This parable is about the fruit because the fruit tells us two things. It tells us that your soil is good And it tells us that the fruit is supernatural. Because a tenfold yield, a soil could produce on its own. A 30, 60, or a 100, there's something going on here. And it's not the soil. So let's talk about this. The seed. Notice the seed is all the same. It's not a different seed. It's not the super seed goes to the good soil and the not so good seed goes to the hard soil. There's no ranking. Everybody gets the same seed. Notice it doesn't say that a farmer worked extra hard on the good soil. The farmer's work is there no matter what. Notice also that all the soils had dirt. They all had dirt. They all had sun. They all had water. They all had all the same things. So there's no, it's not whether or not there's soil there. It's what is the soil like. So what does this, this seed represent? Well, the seed represents the gospel. Notice that seed reproduces seed. It reproduces itself. The gospel in us is meant to reproduce gospel. It's meant to grow and and have us spread it as we have it growing in us. So God's word is the good seed. So a couple little encouragements. First of all, if you're a worker and you work for the kingdom, sometimes you're not going to see any fruit. You're not going to see someone grow from what you're doing. But this is meant to encourage us that you are to keep going. You are not to go, well, I'm going to go find the good seed and then I'm going to do my work there. Instead, I'm going to do the work. This isn't a mathematical equation. It's not like you can go, well, I've invested in four people, and the Bible says one of them is going to be a Christian, so therefore we're good. So if I keep doing this many, I'm going to keep getting them. This is not some formula, some ratio of seeds to, to Christians. Instead, it's to show us God is the one that provides the fruit. God is the one that provides the fruit. So a true disciple is revealed over time. There's a reason why Jesus is using a sower parable right off the bat. Because farming, gardening, planting takes what? Time. It takes time. That's one of the more disappointing things about it, right? You plant something. I mean, I remember Lincoln, he had a cucumber plant. And he planted it, and he was like, three days later, he goes, where's our cucumbers? All we got is this little green thing poking out, right? Where, where is it? A week later, he's like, I'm done, it's, it's not here, right? And so that, that's, that's the way farming works, it takes time, and you could spend all that time on that cucumber plant, and it could grow up and then die, and not have any fruit. So there's, there's, there's fruit that needs to be there for it to be a good plant. This last week, we had seven baptisms on Sunday, uh, which was amazing. And I got to do seven baptism interviews, and as I was interviewing these, these people, these candidates for baptism, one of the things I was looking for was fruit. I was looking for, are we seeing repentance? Are we seeing, are we seeing this desire to please the Lord? Are we seeing any of those fruit that are listed in the Bible? And praise be to God that I saw all of those in their testimonies. And those of you that were here on Sunday, you got to hear some of those testimonies. But fruit is Evidence of good soil. Now, before we move into the explanation, because there's a lot in the explanation, I want to pause for a sec and look at how generous our God is. He spreads the seed everywhere. He doesn't just spread the seed with the middle to upper class in Gladstone. He spreads it to everybody. He doesn't just spread it to the white folk in America. He spreads it throughout the world. He spreads it everywhere. He is so generous. Because the thing about it is, unlike us, if we're the gardener or the farmer, and we go, we hope it works, God knows exactly who's going to choose him. God knows exactly which people are going to be his, and yet he spreads it anyways. Isn't that amazing? What a generous God that he goes, I'm going to give everybody an opportunity to choose me. Even if they don't, I'm still going to give them that opportunity. What an amazing God we have. So, this is a parable of two types of soil fruitful soil and unfruitful soil. So, let's look at the fruitless soils, the unfruitful soils, and ask the question why do some hear the Lord and some not? The first thing we see is in verse, starting in verse 18, is we see that there are deaf listeners, we see hard hearts. Verse 18, Jesus says, Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So what we see here is we see a couple things. One, we see that it reaches the heart, right? So there, there is some sort of emotional thing going on here. It gets there. It's starting to take root, but it can't because the heart is too hard. It says these evil birds which are Satan, Satan's birds, come and snatch it away. Notice that Satan doesn't cause it to be hard. He just takes advantage of it. The hardness comes from us. The hardness comes from our soil. But I mean, if you think about it, it says they've heard the words, they hear it, but they do not understand it. How is this any different than the disciples? Because the disciples were just going, I don't understand what you're doing, Jesus. Something about seed, what? And the disciples didn't get it, so what's the difference here? The difference is the crowd is going, we don't understand it, so what? You know what, whatever. The disciples are going, we don't understand it, Lord, please explain it. See, the, the, the posture there of, I have a moldable heart, please, Lord, explain it to me. Help me with my misunderstanding. And this should be the posture we have whenever we go to God's Word because we sit there and we don't sit in judgment on it, we sit in submission under it. And God's Word then tells us how to live and how to act and how to believe and what to do instead of us sitting over it and telling it what to do. So this faint impression that it has made on them is because their heart is hard-packed ground. So that's the first one. We have hard hearts, deaf listeners. The second group, I would say, are superficial hearers. They have shallow ground, shallow ground. Verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is, not, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself and endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So this does not mean... That there's all these rocks, you know, like one of our, our, our riverbeds that we put in our yards, right? It's not that. It's not all rock, okay? And this is going to really fit with anybody who lives in Gladstone proper. This is like Gladstone rock, right? You know what I'm talking about? When you go to dig and you're like, hey, I got this grass. It looks great. And you're like, thunk, right? We did that right out here. And you guys leave today, on this side right here is a rock the size of like, I don't know, a t- Tyrannosaurus Rex. It's this gigantic rock that was literally in the middle of our grass right out here in front. And we were trying to lay down some power lines to, to our lights in the, in the parking lot. And we're like, oh, I got the edge of the rock. And someone's like, well, I got one over here. No, it was one gigantic rock. And this is what this is talking about here, because this is the way the land was in Israel. There was a little bit of dirt over a lot of rock. So this is... What Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, these are people that receive it with joy, and there's some initial, yes, it looks like it took root, but the roots have nowhere to go, and so the plant withers and dies. Martin Lloyd Jones had delivered a powerful sermon, and someone came up to him and said, Dr. Lloyd Jones, I must tell you that if you'd have given an altar call at the end of your message, I would have come forward, I would have believed. Lloyd Jones responded, if you don't want Jesus five minutes after I'm done preaching, you didn't want Him at any point in my sermon. See, the thing about it is is that we we can't base our relationship on the Lord with a date in the past. It can't be really based on something I said over here or something I did over there. It needs to be based on where I'm at right now. Am I following Him now? Am I allowing the roots to go down deep? Perhaps some people in this group, they, they became Christians because of something they would get. Oh, if, I, if I'm a Christian, I get out of having to go to hell. If I'm a Christian, God promises me he'll give me stuff. Unfortunately, if a person's faith is related to some created thing, then that created thing is going to let you down. This word here in verse 21, this, uh, this word, it says, it's the word falls away, is the word scandalizo which sounds a lot like scandal because it's the same word. This means to take offense. So these people with the rocks just under the surface, they begin in faith and then they go, wait, this isn't the faith I signed up for. I'm not getting the things that I thought I was going to get for joining this club. Therefore, I'm going to leave. They say, I didn't expect tribulation, so I'm quitting. Remember Jesus in chapter 5 of Matthew. He says, blessed are those Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is again pointing to the fact that when you stand for the truth, persecution is going to happen. Persecution is going to hit you. It's not going to be easy sailing. But the good news is, is that I will never leave you or forsake you. I heard a pastor this week who uh, was commenting on the fact he had gone through some hardship. And he had some time where some, some people were really actively against him. And he said, and this is, this is, if I said his name, everybody in the room would know who this is. But he says, who do I think I am? They persecuted Christ. They persecuted Paul and Peter and all the apostles. And I'm nowhere near as good as them. Why would I think that I'm not going to get persecuted for what I believe?" I mean, isn't that the case, right? Isn't that the truth? I mean, the, the, the guy who founded this religion was murdered for founding it. He was murdered. And we expect, oh, hey, you know, we're gonna have smooth sailing and we're never gonna have anything get in the way. And so this superficial heart, this, the, the, the roots that go, don't go down deep, this is someone who does not have a deep sense of their lostness. This is someone who does not have a deep conviction of their sin, who does not have a tremendous desire to be freed from their sin, and is not willing to sacrifice or deny themselves. See, that's what has to be there. It's not enough to say, hey, Lord, I want you so I don't go to hell. You've got to see your sin as repulsive as it is and turn away from it and want nothing to do with it. This is what it means to be saved. This is the roots going down into the good ground. So we've had two surfaces. The path. These are people who can't hold on to the gospel because their hearts are hard. The second group is the rocky ground. They have shallow. And now we get to the third. This is the self-indulgent crowd. This is the distracted crowd. Verse 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The New Living Translation says, It all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of the world, so no fruit is produced. Notice there's two things here. Cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches. This idea of the cares of the world choking them out. It's saying, the things that I want, the things that please my eyes, the things that will keep me entertained are pushing out the truth of God's Word. This is not going to work. If persecution was what g- killed the ones with the rocky soil, prosperity is the one that kills in this soil. How easy it is to agree to, a, you know, I'll follow God, yeah, as long as it doesn't cost me anything, as long as it's easy, as long as I can just kind of add Him on to what I'm already doing. See, wealth is a huge distraction. I think Jesus is showing us something here. He's tying to a verse in the Old Testament that would have been really, really famous. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And I think in each of these soils, Jesus is saying, you're not doing this, right? The path. Represents us not having a soft heart, so we cannot hear him with our heart. There is a hard heart, which is throughout the Old Testament, talking about the hard heart. The rocky soil is the one that says, I'm not going to risk my human life for the sake of my soul. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet you lose their soul? The third one, with all my might, the thorny soil. I'm not willing to sacrifice the things that I want for the things of God. Now when we look at this, we might go, oh, what's the point? Look at how bad these soils are. Look at this. There's no hope at all. But I want to direct you to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, Isaiah says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So God's word is going to multiply. God's word is going to be fruitful. It's going to happen. So the thing we need to see in these three soils is that hearing, like you're doing right now with your ears, is not saving you. Second, an emotional response, a quick one, emotional response, does not save. Third, cultivating the word in your life is almost there, but it doesn't save. What we see here is that we know we are saved when we are producing fruit. What does Matthew 7 say? You will recognize them by their fruits. So this is the main point of the passage. Yeah, there's three soils, and then there's the one soil. So you could say, oh, it's one-fourth of the main point. No, this is the main point. The main point is we must bear fruit. This is going to change not only how we view ourselves, but it's also going to change how we pray for those who don't know the Lord. Instead of praying, oh, I hope they change their minds. No, pray for them like the soils. Their heart is hard, Lord. Soften their heart. Lord, they are distracted. They are fearful by the things in this world. Lord, show them not that you don't need to fear. They're worried about the cares of the world and they're, they're suckered into wealth. Lord, show them. This should change how we pray. So now, why do I not hear from the Lord? What is it that gets in the way of us hearing from the Lord if we are the fruitful soil? Verse 23, we see this faithful hearers, these good hearers. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, another 60, and another 30. Notice here, Jesus doesn't spend any time talking about what happens to the bad soils. Instead, his focus is clearly on what happens to the good soil. The purpose of this parable is to show not how people respond, but this is how God's kingdom goes forward. The kingdom goes forward when we produce fruit and then that fruit produces seed and it just spreads it out more and more and more. Each of us was put on earth for one purpose, to glorify the Lord through producing fruit in keeping with repentance. That's the purpose of what we're here for. We're here to glorify God by being fruitful. We're here to glorify God, to have fruit in us, not fruit that we can muster up and go, oh, I can do this, I can look really good some of the time. No, it's to be 30, 60, or a hundredfold. Fruit that wells up in us, that the only answer that anyone looking at us would go, that, that's gotta be God. That can't be man. It can't be that they're just that special. No, this is something beyond that. The, sha- the shallow, superficial, soils will not produce this. Therefore, only one, fruit, one soil is successful. When God's word takes root, the fruit is spectacular. So don't hear this. Don't hear, all Christians will bear fruit, some will bear a little, some will bear a little more, some will bear a little bit more than that. No, what it says is all Christians bear a ton of fruit, and some bear a ton more than that, and some bear even tons more than that. We have to change our way of thinking. It's not, hey, we're going to just bear a little bit of fruit over here. No, we're to bear fruit. That is so obvious. I mean, if you're in, if you're in a field next to your neighbor and your neighbor's field is growing a hundredfold and you're sitting over here and you've got your fivefold, aren't you going to notice? Aren't you going to be like, what's wrong with my soil? You're going to go, Something, something's going on over there. They're cheating somehow because look at all that fruit that they're building. Over here, I've got nothing. How obvious would it be? How obvious is it when our tree back here has apples on it? Do they blend in? Red apples? No, they stick out. The fruit needs to show. This fruit needs to be out there. We bear fruit. This good hearer welcomes the word immediately so that there's no chance for Satan to snatch it. This one who hears the word welcomes the word deeply, So there's no place for persecution to help wither it. And then he welcomes the word exclusively so that the world cannot strangle it. We're to be hearers of the word, not doers, like it says in James. We're to bear fruit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these are to come from us, but they're to come from the Holy Spirit working inside of us. So where does this start? Well, it starts... And we see this in the book of John. It starts first because what does the seed have to do first? It must die. Look what John 12, 24 says. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So the first thing that must happen is we must say, I cannot do it. My fruit yield is going to be pathetic. I cannot muster it up. I need the Lord in me. And that's called dying to self. And that's also throughout the Bible, right next to our hard hearts. Yeah? So we need to die to self. And then look at what John 15, 5 through 8 says. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears what? Much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and branches are gathered and thrown in the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So you see it right there in that last verse. It's the fruit that shows that you are belonging to Christ. It's the fruit that shows that you're a good tree. And the fruit is not a little, not some, but much. That's the word megos in the Greek. It's lots and lots of fruit. What a statement. Notice it doesn't say you have to work miracles. doesn't say you have to speak in the tongues of angels. doesn't say you have to go start your own ministry. No, it says you have to abide in Christ and Him in you. And the fruit flows. The true work of Christ in the believer is so obvious that you can see it from a mile away. Psalm 1 gets this. Many of you have this memorized. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor sits in the way of sinners, nor stands in the way of sinners, I obviously don't have it memorized, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither so the power here is not in the soil the power is in the seed the seed is the power all we do is receive it and we are made from death into life life comes from the seed entering the soil so now i don't think anything i've said so far has a surprise to anybody who's heard this before i think you've all heard this to a certain degree in one way or another However, I, I think there's one more step we can take with this passage. And I think the step is this is that for many of us in this room, maybe you've been convicted and you're like, yeah, you know, I don't I don't do the fruit like like he's saying. Okay. Why not? Then the other question is, is well, okay, I, I want to bear fruit, but I don't know what to do with it. Well, why not? See, the thing is, the Lord is speaking to us, the Lord is speaking to every single one of us daily, but the problem is, is we don't hear Him, and this passage tells us why we don't hear Him. These same three soils, I mean, the devil's not creative, he just uses the same thing over and over again. These same three soils tell us the same three things that distract us from being able to hear the Lord today. They distract us from being able to bear much fruit because guess what? Even though we may be a good soil and we may be bearing fruit, what's holding us back from bearing much fruit a hundredfold is that we are enticed by the same things that these three soils are enticed with. And we will be this side of heaven until we get our new bodies and the new heaven and new earth where we can go no more sin, no more temptation. So we need to see these temptations for what they are. And there's three of them. It's guilt, it's greed, and it's fear. So let's walk through these. The first one, our hearts can start to be hardened when we allow guilt to make us fruitless. When we allow guilt to make us fruitless. This is the number one way the enemy makes our soil hard. Is he comes in and he says, yeah, okay, God forgave you of your sins, but do you remember how bad you were? Do you remember how bad that was? Do you remember, you were that bad that I'm, you, oh, God can't love you. God can't, God can't help you. you. You are too awful. And, and the enemy lays it down at us and he says, you can never expect God to do anything with you. You are too bad. And we're forgetting that the gospel says he takes our sins where? As far as the east is from the west. They are gone. They are gone. Yes, there's repercussions of sin and all the things that come from that. But when our sins are confessed, they're gone. They're not held against us. God doesn't bring them back up when we ask him for something. Lord, produce fruit in me. Well, you know, back on June twelfth, twenty 2021, you said, I can't do it. Sorry, not going to help you. It's not the way God works. It's gone. Our sins are gone. Now, this doesn't mean we get to go, yay, I can just keep doing this and doing all the sinning I want. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying, though, is guilt is not going to harden our hearts. Our hearts should be soft to God because praise be to God that Jesus has removed the barrier. Jesus has removed what should keep us from God. And so one of the ways the enemy comes at us is he brings back up into our minds all the things we've done wrong, and that's him trying to keep us from bearing much fruit. But we know that the faith removes the guilt. Faith in what Jesus has done removes our guilt. His death and resurrection has paid the price. And praise be to God, that means we can be soft towards God. We can have hearts that he can reach. So the first one is guilt. The second one is we can be burned up, just like that second soil, when fear makes us fruitless. Fear. If we're honest, fear keeps us from a lot of things, doesn't it? Fear keeps us from talking to someone about Jesus when they lay it right out in front of us. Fear keeps us from making those phone calls or having those conversations about Jesus when they're right there in front of us. The person in the checkout line. Maybe it's the person you've worked next to now for 20 years and they may kind of know that maybe, kind of, sort of you're a Christian. What's keeping you from sharing that? Well, I'm fearful that they'll get mad and get HR involved and I'm fearful that this and that and the other... Fear makes us save too much, it makes us buy too much insurance. It makes us so we can't live a generous life. It makes us so we go, well, I'm, I'm fearful that if I don't use my time well over here, that I'm not going to have enough over here, and so therefore I'm not going to take that step. I'm not going to do that thing. I think one of the things that we are afraid of is we're afraid of persecution. You know, last week was the, the week we prayed for the persecuted church. And I just want to tell you guys that right up front. None of us have experienced persecution. Can we just be honest right there? Can we be honest with that? None of us are being rounded up and killed for what we believe. Just because it's uncomfortable on social media when people say mean things. Just because the, there's certain ways that our country and our world does things that makes it hard to be a Christian. That's not persecution, guys. It's not. It's not. In the last 10 months, 4000 Nigerian Christians have been slaughtered. 4000. 4000. We're at 300 in about 18 days in this year. 4000. Do the math on that. That's a lot a day. 2500 have been kidnapped and not returned yet. And that's only through October. But here's the thing that's amazing about it. Can I tell you what's amazing? In Nigeria, where this is happening, the church is growing like crazy. Where is the church growing in the world right now? It's all south of the equator. It's in Africa. It's in Nigeria. So I hate to say it, but God, give us persecution, because it sure makes the church do something, right? And that's us. We're so fearful of people's words or that they might look at us crossly. Guys, if you've been been driving in Oregon, you get looked at crossly just for driving next to someone. I was on McLaughlin the other day in the left lane. I'm sorry if this was you, but the left lane's not a fast lane on McLaughlin. It's just a street. But apparently going five miles over the speed limit meant I needed both hands flipping me off. I mean, people are already mad in Oregon. Anybody who's lived anywhere else in the world knows Oregon's have their resting mad face on all the time. So what, you're just going to get more of that? Why are we worried about what people think? Why? It's because fear is running us. This is why we don't evangelize. This is why we don't tell people about Jesus. This is why I don't do it. It's true. So fear is what allows us to have no roots. They don't grow down, but we forget the good news. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will not give you more than you can handle. There are so many promises that the Lord gives us about persecution. And they don't even really apply to us because we're not getting threatened with death. But we can still claim those and say it. Our fruits should be on display. People shouldn't have to go, you know, I always thought maybe kind of you were a Christian. No. Needs to be obvious. The last one. Okay, if you thought that one hurt. Whew. Brace yourself. The last one, our soil as Christians gets choked out when greed makes us fruitless. We hoard our money instead of giving it away. We are worried about our financial security. I mean, this makes people not invite people to their homes because they don't want to mess up their stuff. This makes people not tithe. You know, 80% of people that go to church tithe and they only do about 2 to 3%. The other 20 give zero. I mean, that. This is one of those things where it's so obvious in the Bible. The Bible says, God gives you everything, right? It's all his. And he says, I want 10% back. I want a tenth of it back. And he goes, you give me that tenth percent I will do more with that 90 than you could do with 100. And yet, that promise is clear. And yet, we still go, well, I really could use that 100. I could really use that 100. And God's going, you, you've seen what I've done with loaves and fishes, Right? You've seen what I've done with the Red Sea, right? You've seen what I've done in forgiving you and giving you a real fleshy heart that's mine, right? I work miracles. And yet you're saying, oh, I'm only gonna give you about 2% because I need that 98%. Because you can't possibly do anything with that. And I know from my life, and if you want testimony, I can, I can, Katie and I, we can lay out how the Lord has multiplied for us over and over again. And were we perfect in our tithing? no doggone it we should have been because the god we serve is faithful one author writes in response to the two to three percent tithe of most christians where on earth is the rest of the money going i'll tell you where it's going it's lining their coffins you can't take it with you to heaven but you sure can take it with you to hell don't think you can trust your money and get into heaven don't think you can treasure earthly treasures and still inherit the pleasures of god friendship with the world is enmity with god If money is your best friend, God is not. Now, let me be clear on one thing here, okay? I'm not saying this because I want you all to feel guilty and go tithe right now. That's not it. That's not the point of this passage. That's not the point of me sharing this. The key thing I want you to get out of this is that God is not against you having things. God is not against you having money. What he's against is things having you. Money having you. If money has you, then what I was just saying there was really painful, and you're going, oh, I can't do that. If it's, if it's the, your time, and it's the, the fact that you don't have time to devote to serving God and doing ministry and things like that, then guess what? Time has you. Job has you. The worries of what other people think about you has you. God wants you. He doesn't want to share you. So stop letting him Stop trying to make God share. He is either your God or he's not. Greed makes us fruitless, but the gospel drives out greed. We're going to see this over and over again. I'm not going to hit you again with the tide thing. That's not what I'm saying. But the rest of the parables in chapter 13, listen to them, pearl of great price, right? That's saying Jesus is worth more. You should sell everything and go get the pearl, And there's so many more that we'll be looking at. All the world's treasures combined are not worth as much as Christ. So these three ways that we allow ourselves to get kind of suckered back into the world's way of thinking. We allow sins to hang on us that are pushing us down. We allow fear to distract us from the fact our God is with us. And we allow greed to be the thing that runs us. So those are all the negatives. What is this fruit that God wants us to produce. Well, in Matthew, Jesus says it a couple times. First person to say it actually was John the Baptist. He says in chapter three, verse eight, bear repent- bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance means to have a turn and go another direction. It means to repent means to, I am so repulsed by this that I am gonna run a different direction. He says, this is how you know what fruit is. It starts with repentance. He says that later, um, John the Baptist says later, every tree therefore that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. We're gonna see this language again in next week's sermon. Matthew 7, Jesus warns, beware of the false prophets who come in sheep's clothing and are inwardly ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Healthy tree cannot bear fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. You'll recognize them by their fruits. And then skip forward to Matthew 12. We'll go down to uh, verse 35. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Their words will be justified or your words will be condemned so what jesus is saying is he's saying the fruit that comes out of us is obvious it's in what we say it's in what we do it's in how we think repentance is a thinking thing it's going i'm not going this way i'm going this way and praise be to god that the holy spirit does that and jesus has brought this up over and over and over again because fruit shows that you belong to him now this one hundred and 60 and 30, is this kind of like, well, those 30s should have done more? There's no condemnation by Jesus for the 30. And there's no exaltation extra for the 100. Because the 30, the 60, and the 100 is not because of the soil. It's not because of us. It's because of the Holy Spirit working in them. So when we bear fruit, it makes it obvious that the Holy Spirit is at work in us. It can be the fruit from Galatians. It can be just the simple fruit of loving your neighbor. It can be the simple fruit of stopping and putting aside your time, putting aside something to help someone in need. These parables are tough. We talked about how when you interpret the parables, they interpret you. When you look at the parables, you're looking at you. They're reading us. So if you're here today and and you're that hard soil, ask the Lord to give you ears to hear and a soft heart. Whether you're a believer or not, we need to have soft hearts towards the Lord. If you're superficial, if there's no depth, ask the Lord to make you serious about what you believe. Ask the Lord to work on your heart. If you're distracted, ask the Lord to block out those things that are distracting you, whatever that may be. And if you're fruitful, no patent on the back. Tell the Lord, thank you. And ask the Lord, where can I be doing more fruit? Where can I be growing more fruit? Please do that in me. If you're not bearing fruit, you need to repent and turn to Christ. If you are bearing fruit, you need to praise him for it and ask for more fruit. Bearing fruit is the proof that you belong to him. It's my prayer that this room would be full of people who are bearing fruit, because that means that the Holy Spirit is at work here in this room. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage, Lord. Thank you for the fact that it speaks to us even today. Even if it's something, Lord, that we've heard before, Lord, I pray that it would make new inroads, that you would, you would grow new roots in us today and that those roots would go down nice and deep that lord you would then grow fruit in each of our lives i pray lord that it would be so obvious the changes in the people's hearts in this room today that this week people will say what is different about them what what, why what's the change and lord i pray that we would then be courageous and firm and stand up and say jesus is the change I want to be like my Savior, Lord. Help us to do that. Help us to draw near to you through this. And as we continue to look at your parables over the coming weeks, I pray that we would see how sweet it is to follow you, that we can stand on Christ, the solid rock, and declare you to the world. I pray that we would be able to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.